Uh, so we, uh, we're jumping back into Acts, so open your Bibles if you have them, your app or whatever you're using to uh, follow along. We're in Acts chapter 13, uh, Acts chapter uh, 13. So we read through, uh, we'll pick up in verse 42, we'll get to that in just a second. Um, last week we read through the sermon that Paul, Paul preached, and he declared some truths. He real, well, it wasn't last week, two weeks ago actually. Um, we read through the sermon and preached through the sermon where Paul was really declaring the gospel because he just wanted them to know, uh, they wanted to know what the gospel was, and he just went straight forward. And so we declare the gospel specifically as the sermon last week. We do it every week. We say we have to preach the gospel every week. Uh, and, but this was one that was specific to what Paul was saying uh, during that time. And, uh, and once he preached it, the people were there. They were like, hey, come back again and tell us more about that. We want to know more about what it is about this gospel thing and about this Jesus that you had, had proclaimed. And in the middle of that, there were some people that were mad about it. Some people were glad about it. We'll get into seeing more about that today. Uh, but it's our hope uh, that every preacher that stands in any pulpit would do it, but specifically the preachers at Refuge are going to stand and declare that gospel time and time again, that the gospel is the thing that gets preached. You know, it's, um, and the interesting thing as, as, as you read the end of our, or we got to the end of last week's text, the people weren't enamored with the speaker. People weren't enamored with Paul. They weren't enamored with anybody that was declaring the message. They were enamored with the message. It was the gospel that people wanted to hear more about. They didn't care who was saying it at the time. They just were enamored with the gospel, awed by Jesus and the fact that, that he would absolutely stand and declare these things. And so I was, I'm encouraged by, by the apostles that at that time saying that. They, they, they took the mantra of, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek, which is, we're right in the middle of that here in Acts chapter 13, where the, the, the gospel went to those who were outside of the Jewish faith. Um, and they were receiving it gladly. And so we believe that we should, do this, we should follow that same kind of uh, pattern is to preach the gospel every week because, it again, it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. So Acts chapter 13, uh, we're going to pick up in our text today, and we will read it uh, together. So let's pick up in verse 42. And so the text says this, As they went out, the people begged that those things might be told them the next Sabbath. Again, just what I said. They had heard the gospel. They're like, hey, we're going to come back next Sabbath, and I want you to say that, preach that same gospel to us because we are awed by it. And after these meetings, after the meets, excuse me, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they, be they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went into Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We will stop right there. And that's where we'll pick up our text today. Hold on one second. Hey, will you mute me for a second? Okay, thank you. Sorry, you're going to have to stand with my sniffles today. All right, Acts chapter 13, um, verse 42 and 43. So let's look back at that. Many people, both Jews and Gentiles, expressed an interest in the message. Here's what it says, 42. As they went out, the people begged, of the, begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue 
in the grace of God. And so I love the, the interest. I love the desire for people to know the gospel. That's my question for you. Is that desire something that is deep within you to know this? To know the God, not only just to know the, simply the gospel, what the words are, but to know it in your being, to experience in your being, to know what it means to be born again. To know what there is hope found in none other than Jesus Christ. They wanted, they had a huge interest in the gospel. Uh, gospel. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but the gospel, the hospital for the dead, you know, whatever. And there you go. That's where it is. There it is. Thanks. Good recovery. They love the gospel that they heard. And so I see this as desire. They had a desire to hear the gospel. They had a desire to know the gospel. They had a desire to encounter the life-changing message of the gospel. And and, and the people there were, were strongly wishing or wanting something. That's what desire is, a strong wish for something, a strong want for something. And so they strongly wished to hear this again. They, they wanted to hear the gospel de- uh, declared to them the same the, the next week. And if, and if you go on to verse 44, and we'll get to that, but he says this in verse 44, he urged or persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And if you're an underliner in your Bible, I would underline that in verse 44, that he urged and persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. I'll, I'll, I'll go on and put this up there. That he, see that? He urged them to continue in the grace of God. But continuing in the grace of God is as important as beginning in the grace of God. We can't ever leave grace. I know we've got lots of people at Refuge that grew up in lots of different types of church backgrounds and uh, lots of different preaching, lots of different preaching styles, lots of different messages that came that people would stand in pulpits like this and preach. And sometimes, uh, sometimes that message of grace got skewed. Sometimes that message of grace got uh, buried uh, sometimes it felt like, hey, I've got to continue on. I've got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and do better and try hard. But continuing in grace is as important as beginning in grace. And we must never, never leave it because that is the foundation, the grace of God that's found in Christ Jesus that is the foundation for our relationship with God. As a matter of fact, I, I want you to uh, put a finger right there where you are and turn over with me to James uh, chapter 2. James chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse 14. I love that we get both Pauline and uh, epistles, and I'm also glad that we get James, uh, because James is, is, is a good, good one to look at and read and understand in the light of the gospel how we have to read James. You can get really in the ditch with James if you don't read James in light of the grace of God and understanding how that works. But I want us to read this uh, in light of this passage where we are. James chapter 2, verse 14, this is what James says. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but, not, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself, underline this, faith by itself without works is dead. 18 says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And so I'll just, I'll I'll take a sidebar really quick right there. Do you see what James just said? That even the demons believe and shudder. It is not sufficient for you to have just an intellectual understanding that there is a God, an intellectual understanding that Jesus existed Facts about God, about Jesus, about the Bible, understanding and knowing those just as an intellectual exercise is not sufficient for salvation. We can know all kinds of things, and James makes this point. He says this. He says that you believe that God is one, you do well, but even the demons believe and shudder. And so it's not sufficient just to have intellectual knowledge about Jesus or even the gospel 
without, without believing by faith, without repenting and believing by faith. Let's go on. Do you, want, uh, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. What he's saying is, hey, Abraham had faith in God. He trusted God. He believed God was who he said he was. But he had to act on that faith, and that proved that his faith was true. And faith was completed by his works. 23 says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. For 24, you see that a person is justified by works, and not by faith alone. Now, again, James explains some things, and he lays out some things that says there's got to be some type of evidence in your life that your faith is actually true. So when James says you are a person is justified by their works and not by faith alone, he is not contradicting what the other apostles say in the Scriptures. He's just saying that my faith by itself with no evidence is useless. You see that, church? Do you understand that? You, you might be the type of person that says, my faith is private. My faith is my own. And I go in, I, I do this by myself. I don't show it to anybody else. I don't push it on anybody else. I don't need to go and do things. I don't need to say things. I don't need to do any of those things. This is just my own private thing, and it's my, my own thing between me and God. James says there's an outpouring or an expression of your faith that must be present for your faith to actually be real and true. And I would agree with that because we see it all through the New Testament where faith it compels and, uh, 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 and energizes people to actually get into action because they've experienced the, the resurrected Jesus. Amen? See that, church? Come on. You, you, you following me? All right, thank you, four of you. Uh, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. He's talking about an Old Testament story about Rahab, and, and, and she, the Scripture says that she was justified by faith, yes, but her works proved that, that it was true, that she put that into motion. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, understand that? If our spirit doesn't live within us, then we are dead. That's, that's when we see people that after they have died, there's just a body there. Their spirit has left them. He says, for as the body, a, a dead body that you see at a funeral, in a hospital, wherever you might encounter one, apart from the spirit in them is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. James is explicit about that. And as we see... Uh, Paul, John, the other apostles, they believe that James is just the one that explicitly talks about that. All right, so let me get back to where we are here in our text. These two, grace and continuing, are like interlocking hands whenever you're following Jesus. They are intertwined with one another. And so, yes, uh, becoming a follower of Jesus, salvation and sanctification is by grace. And that continuing in grace, yes, is by the power of the Holy Spirit. But just like Paul says in other places, we put on some things and we put off some things and we do good works, James says, is the evidence that we are continuing in grace. And so Paul and Barnabas urged them to stoke that desire to gather together and hear the word preached and continue in grace. That's what he was saying at the end of uh, verse 43. He was like, I want you to continue in the grace of God and let that be shown and visible to other people. Let's keep going. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And so let me set the picture for you. The whole city was, what I say, is determined. They were determined, and so this is the good determination in these two verses. There, there's going to be a bad one in a minute, but this is the good determination. The whole city was determined to hear the, uh, the gospel again from Paul the next week. I want you, Refuge Church, to be that kind of determined. I want you to be determined to hear the gospel preached week after week. I want you as the Refuge Church to be determined to hear the, the, the message preached, to gather together, to worship the Lord together. I want that to be part of who you are, just like we read here in the New Testament. They were determined to hear the gospel the next Sabbath. 
And I would just encourage you to think about that, even in your mind's eye, to visualize what that might have been like. They've just heard a sermon. And rather than people probably going to Paul and going, bro, you went 56 minutes this week. I know that's what I went the last time I preached. I've already been told. I've already been told. I can see it in some of your faces. But rather than them putting on the stank face toward Paul, you know what they did? They were like, bro, we want more of this. We want to hear more of this. We need you to tell us more about this Jesus. I want to hear more. I can't wait to come back and hear even more about this today. And so just like you're going to hear today, you're going to hear today, you keep coming back. Let me, I'll just commend you again. For through these three months of construction and we, you know, how much longer is it going to take us and how much longer are we going to be here? I have to commend you for continuing to come and continuing to show up. And, and you remind me of this, honestly. You remind me of just this little snippet of going, we want to hear the gospel preached. We want to gather with our church family. We want to sing some praises to the Lord. And you keep coming, wherever we may be, whether it's in a safe room or the high school or a gym or wherever we've been, bring your own chair, sit in the floor, whatever it is, you've been faithful to do that very thing. And I want to commend you for that. That's incredible. We've actually, it's funny because we track our attendance, you know, we always have for the last number of years. But it's been very interesting to us as we've met in these multiple different places that our numbers have actually increased of people coming together. That's incredible. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. One commentator said this about this text. He said, in our day, people are overwhelmed with information. You, you would probably all agree with that. We're overwhelmed with information. We have radio, television, newspapers, magazines. This is clearly older than we are today. Um, People did not have any of these in that day. So when somebody came through from another city, the person was a source of precious information, and people naturally thronged uh, around him and and to him. The missionaries were proclaiming something new to them. They had never heard it, and so they wanted to keep hearing it. I'll just say this. The gospel doesn't get old. The gospel doesn't get old. We're not preaching some new message. The apostles didn't preach a new message, and we're not preaching a new message week after week. After week. But they were proclaiming the gospel to them, and people came as a result of that to hear the gospel. But in our text, there was not just this mere uh, thing about it being a novelty, something new that they didn't hear or they'd never heard before. There was a power in the Word of God. There was a power in the gospel being preached. And that power was the thing that was attracting people. Luke talked about this as he was recording this in Acts. He talked about it was the power of the gospel that attracted people. Let me tell you, it's the power of the gospel that has changed many of your lives. Since this church has been in existence, over the last two years, many of you have been born again. You've moved from death to life. And it's not because the guy that stands in the pulpit. It's not because of the place we meet. It's because of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power to save. To any of us, to even you, you're thinking, I walked in here, preacher, and I don't know anything about this yet. But even to you, the gospel is the power to save and to change life. The whole city came together to hear the word. We see that in verse 44. Uh, we'll see that on down in verse 46, um, that Paul and Barnabas spoke the word to them first, and the Gentiles responded to the word, and, and then the word of the Lord began to spread through the whole region. But it says, it says this back in verse 45, when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And so the the response to the gospel made the religious leaders in the temple very envious and angry at the time. And they were, our same word, determined to put a stop to this message. So just as the apostles were determined to go forward with the message, and people were determined to hear the message, there were also people that were determined to put a stop to the message. And so verse 46 tells us that his preaching was opposed People were against the proclamation of the gospel. People were against the gospel being preached. People were against uh, the proclamation to say that Jesus is the only way. We live in a day like that today, not unlike this same time, when people were opposed to saying that there is one way and only one way to be right with God, and that's through Jesus Christ. 
He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. That is explicit in the Gospels, explicit in the Word of God, and either Jesus is the Lord that he says he was, or he's a lunatic. And I believe he's Lord. And so this contradiction mentioned kind of here in this set of verses uh, probably had to do with these lies and these false accounts that were being spread uh, about these guys. And the text tells us that they opposed the things spoken by Paul. And probably one of the reasons that, that we can imagine why they wanted to, to talk about this is they wanted to keep this, the religious leaders were talking about this, is they wanted to keep this separation between Jews and Gentiles. There was a huge rift between Jewish people today and those who were not Jewish, which are the Gentiles. And, and so if Jesus was to be the Messiah to the Jews, they were all okay. They were like, okay, well, if he just came to us, he would have been fine if we had thought he was the Messiah. But now that he's going to go and be the, the Messiah to the Gentiles, those dirty dogs, the Gentiles, then many people didn't want to have anything to do with that. Nothing to do with him. What do you think about that? I mean, does it bother you that Jesus can be the Savior to all men and women? I mean, think about it. I, I need you to really think about this. I'm not talking about the people in this room because he is the only Savior that can be for the people in this room. But I'm talking about what do you think about him being Savior to all peoples? All peoples. How does that hit you? Even the people you despise, Jesus is their only hope. Even to the people that you are in a riff with right now, that you couldn't be more angry with right now, that you wish that you didn't ever have to be in the same room with right now, Jesus is their only hope. Jesus is their only way. Jesus is the only way that they can be part of the family of God. But the way the Jews felt toward the Gentiles said if they're part of this we don't want to be part of this if they're included in this thing we don't want to be included in this thing and so many during that day chose the path to try to discredit paul and the message that he was speaking of the gospel to the gentiles one commentator wrote this about this very thing. They simply could not accept a teaching that opened such floodgates. For themselves and their adherents, they could accept a message as God sent and, tol as, as God sent and tolerated some change to their teaching and practices. So they're like, okay, maybe this is okay. This is not exactly what we've taught, but maybe we can adjust to this. Some would even accept that, but they could not endure that the Gentiles should be made equal with God's ancient people. And you may say, well, how could they act that way, preacher? That's a great question. Think about this. Some people ended up rejecting Jesus because of the way he changed the relationship with them and other people. Some would rather hold on to the bitterness and the animosity and the anger and the angst and the deep-seated things that were in their lives and maybe even some of your lives. They wanted to hold on to that rather than turn to Jesus and be reconciled to some of those people. Is it that, is it that way with you today? Is that rooted somewhere within your being today? Bitter or even skeptical at someone's newfound faith? I've heard that before. Golly, he needs to tone it down. Man, easy, bro. You don't have to be over the top about Jesus. When it comes to lives being truly changed by the gospel, which camp do you land in? Rejoicing over those who come to know the Lord, even that person that you probably thought of earlier? Or being, if that person's part of this, I don't want to be any part of this.
be determined to stand and proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through Him. Stand firm in the gospel that on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That Christ is the only way. Let's keep going. Verse 46. <clears throat> so the more people blaspheme, the bolder and bolder Paul and Barnabas became. 46 says, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so, in light of this, they were saying, Hey, we have a new directive, we've got new marching orders to go. And so since the Jewish people rejected Jesus as Messiah, Paul said, I've been given new marching orders to take this message to the Gentiles. And all the Gentile people said, yes, thank you, Gentiles. And so Paul and Barnabas rebuked those Jews who rejected Jesus. And they said, hey, it's a privilege to know the good news of the gospel. It's a privilege to know that Jesus, the Messiah, has finally come. And it was a privilege that that message had come to you, and yet you rejected it. Refuge, whenever you want other people to know about Jesus, begin with your own group, just like these guys did. They started with their own kinsmen. They they longed for their kinsmen to come to know the Lord. They labored over the fact that, hey, I have family that doesn't know the Lord yet. In tears, they wept over the fact that I have kinsmen and brothers that don't know that you are the long-awaited Messiah. And so I would encourage you, Refuge, whenever you're thinking about, hey, being a missionary that we talk about each and every day, go to your family first. Be a missionary in your home first. Your family, your friends, your co-workers But even if they don't believe it or they start to reject it, don't stop telling them about Jesus. The vast majority of the people that I've ever shared the gospel with reject it in the beginning. They don't want to hear it in the beginning. But that doesn't have to be the end. That can be the only, sometimes that's only the beginning. And you might be the first person ever sharing seeds and and sowing seeds in the the ground around that person. You might be the first one ever. Or maybe you're the second, or maybe you're the third, or maybe you're the 40th. But it doesn't, doesn't call us to stop. But you will, without a doubt, run into some opposition to those who don't want to hear the gospel. They may ridicule you. They may reject you. You may get reported at some of your places of work because you share the gospel. But do not be dismayed about things like this. Expect it to happen. Remember, at times like these, we are in a spiritual battle. Paul wrote about that in Ephesians. He said this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are up against that, same, that kind of battle. Whenever you begin to be engaged in the work of the Lord, you will find opposition. Amen? You will find it. It will find you. Whenever you get about the work of the Lord. But do not be dismayed. Be his messenger. Share the message of the gospel. Trust the Holy Spirit to do his work. Trust the purposes of God. Paul and Barnabas believed this. They embraced this. And they carried on with the message. It did not dismay them. At least in a little bit. And this is the directive we've had. To live sent. Let's keep going. Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. They were like, the gospel's coming to us. Those who fought, Can you imagine those who were like, suddenly follow Jesus and they find salvation? And they're like, oh my goodness, you mean that message is coming to our people? That message is coming to my family? And so the Bible tells us that they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to, enter, to, uh, to eternal life believed. And so Paul and Barnabas were being obedient to God's command, and they delivered this message. They were obedient and said, this is the message I have. I'm going to give it to these Gentiles. Romans uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And so the Gentiles responded to Paul's invitation enthusiastically. Learn that God doesn't hate the Gentiles. Wait, we're being included. God doesn't hate him, but he offered salvation that was found in Jesus. So you Gentiles, listen to me. God doesn't hate you. Okay? You may have walked in feeling full of shame, going, I'm going to a church service. I haven't been in forever. I'm sure God hates me. No, he doesn't. God doesn't hate you. God doesn't hate you. God doesn't hate you because you haven't been to a church service in a while. God doesn't hate you because you aren't part of some church group somewhere. He didn't hate the Gentiles then, and he doesn't hate the Gentiles today. He doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm here to tell you the truth. For God so loved you, Gentile, For God so loved you, West Tennessee Gentile, that he gave his only son. And that whosoever, and that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn you, but so that you might be saved him that's a truth I want you to hear today back to our text Paul showed wisdom in not and not spending his time trying to persuade those who were hard-hearted he was like hey I've come here to proclaim the gospel. I've come here to tell you these kind of things. But he said, I've got things to do, and there are lots of people that need to hear this message, and I'm not going to waste all my time here. I'm not going to spend all my time here. And and, and so we we know that even after his evangelistic efforts, that that he prayed earnestly for uh, the Gentile people. And, And Romans chapter 10, verse 1, tells us that he prayed earnestly for his people. He says this, that my brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for even my brothers to be saved. But he spent his time in his missionary journey proclaiming the gospel to those who were more open to hear what it was he had, he had to say. I would encourage you to do the same thing. Don't walk away from people who are not going to listen to the gospel, but keep on going. Circle back, but keep on going with the gospel. Check back with these people that turned you away, but keep on going with the message of the gospel. Allow me to touch on this one verse, this one thing in verse 48. 48 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now, like it, don't like it. Reject it, receive it. Embrace it, don't embrace it. Regardless of where you land on this entire thing, God appoints people to eternal life. You're like, ooh, I don't know if I like that, preacher. Irrelevant if you like it. It's the scripture. The Bible tells us that God appoints people to eternal life. Yes, God chooses. He always has. Read the Bible. He's chosen people from the beginning. From the very beginning. We don't like that. Look, sometimes I don't like that. Okay? Because I, I have concerns over people that I love. You do too. And that's why it doesn't set well with us. What about my child? What about my sister? What about my parents? What about people that I know and love? What if they're outside the household of faith, preacher? What do we do? How am I supposed to embrace this, preacher? I'll say this. God is God, and nothing surprises him. He doesn't wake up one day whenever someone comes to him and says, I'm going to repent and believe the gospel. He's not shocked. Oh, didn't see that one coming. That's not the God we serve. He is God. 
When you came to Jesus, if you're a Christian, whenever you came to Jesus, it was the Spirit of God that drew you to Him. It was the Spirit of God that gave you, imparted you the faith to believe. Because, as our text says, you were appointed unto eternal life. Well, preacher, if you're so smart, then why do we even evangelize people? Why do we even share the gospel with people if people are appointed unto eternal life and God has appointed people to eternal life? Why are we even called to evangelize people? Why am I wasting my time sharing the gospel with people if they're already appointed unto eternal life? Good question. But the answer is because the, the answer is the same reason that Paul and Peter and Barnabas and John and the scores of people that we read about in the text in our scripture, James for that sake, and multitudes of others, including this cat that stands in the pulpit week after week, because we're commanded to. We're commanded to. All throughout the New Testament, you'll see people preaching the gospel. All throughout the New Testament, you'll see God choosing and appointing people to eternal life. Today, in 2023 and 2024, you'll see God appointing people to eternal life. But God does His work in and through people like you and me. He sends us as the messengers. He sends us as being missionaries. You declare that every week whenever you leave here. We say, what are you? And you say, missionaries. What do missionaries do? What do missionaries do? They spread the gospel. They go and tell other people about the good news of the gospel. If people are appointed to eternal life, then and why do we keep spreading the gospel, people? Because we're commanded to. And God not only ordains the ends, He also ordains the what? The means. This is how he accomplishes his work. Deliver the gospel, preach the gospel, share the gospel. We like to say pile kindling around those you love and encounter and pray for God to light the fire of salvation. That's how we're called to live, this very thing. Pray that God will do a great and mighty work just like we read about him doing in Acts and other places in the Scriptures. Let's keep going. Verse 49. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the entire region. And so the gospel was being spread through the efforts of Paul and Barnabas, but especially through the lives of those people being brought to Jesus. It's really remarkable to think that this church that we read about in Acts chapter 13 really was just being birthed in this time frame. It would have been like in the last week. And on one Sabbath, the text tells us that Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel in the synagogue. There was a wonderful response. And the following Sunday, there was a mixed response that we're seeing about today. And even though there was some opposition during the time, this church got established and lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years. Acts chapter 13, verse 49 tells us that the whole region was filled with a gospel message. Honestly, that's my hope for refuge. We're, we're almost 15 years into this thing now, and it is my hope, not for refuge's sake, not for anybody's namesake, but for hundreds and hundreds of years that refuge will stand declaring the good news of the gospel to people in this area. Just like this church, just like the church we see, that is my hope for Refuge Church, that it will be a, this was a beacon for the gospel, and that's my hope for Refuge Church and the people of refuge. Let's keep going. Verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. And so wherever there is revival, the second group to be revived is the devil. Whenever the people of God begin to rise up, there's going to be an opposition to the people of God and the work of God. Truly this happens today. People get stirred up at the preacher about something. People get mad about something getting changed. Some of y'all going to be mad about our building getting changed. You know, I like that old restroom urinal. Uh, you know, I really like the way that I didn't have to care if my coffee spilled. Uh, you know, all those things like that. Y'all going to be mad about something in this new building. I, I get it. Hey, whenever that, ha when that happens, listen, you just go on and say, this is not of the Lord. Okay? 
It's not of the Lord. This critical spirit that I have in my heart, not of the Lord. Repent for that. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you work through that. And just uh, admire the new paint color. Okay? Persecution strikes against men and women doing the work and sharing the gospel. And sometimes, like we see in our text today, that persecution drives people even out of the city and even out of the work of people doing gospel work. So let's be aware, Refuge, that this happens. Be aware. So like I said, when we go back, it's going to happen. Be aware. Be aware that you're going to face persecution whenever you get in line with, with what the Spirit's doing and sharing the good news of the gospel. Stand firm in the gospel. Don't water down the message. Don't, make, don't be afraid you're going to offend somebody with the gospel because you will because the gospel is offensive. It says that your way is not the right way. You're living your life is not the right way. There is one way to live your life. It is found in following Jesus Christ to repent, to turn from your evil and wicked ways and follow Jesus Christ, your only hope in life and death, and pray fervently in the middle of it. Let's keep going. I'm almost, I'm almost done, I promise. Verse 51. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so as they shook their dust from the feet in this city, uh, Paul and Barnabas treated the city as if it were a God-rejecting Gentile city. That's how one commentator described it. A God-rejecting Gentile city. And, and the text certainly states this. Like I said earlier, just don't jump to that too quickly, okay? Whenever you're sharing the gospel with people, don't jump to, hey, they clearly aren't interested in this, so I'm going to move on. I've done my thing here, God, and I'm shaking the dust off, and I'm leaving them up to you. Don't run to that too, too quickly. They certainly did not, uh, but they did at some point do that because they were called to something different. They were called to, hey, I've got to go here, and I'm planting here, and if God calls me to something different, I'm going to go on and do something different. Here's an important point. Paul and Barnabas didn't look at themselves whenever people rejected them and said, man, something must be wrong with me. Man, something must be wrong with, with how I'm saying this. Something must be wrong in how I'm delivering this message. We don't read any of that in the text. Nothing in the scripture where they go, well, I, I don't know. I, well, we, we just didn't do a very good job there, and I, I'm, I'm really, I'm stink at this, and so I'm probably not going to do this anymore. No, no, no. They, they didn't have that thought at all. They knew they were called to tear, share the gospel wherever they went. And so they shared it, and, and the text tells us they shook the dust off there and went on somewhere else. The text tells us that they move on and went to Iconium after that. Just know that you are going to uh, face some opposition, but whenever you do, do not stop. Okay? Do not stop. There are people that are going to come to know the Lord because you share the gospel with them. Not because of your eloquence. Not because you've got it all figured out, because the gospel is the power of God into salvation. Because of the message, not because of the messenger. And people need to hear the gospel, some of them, some specifically from you. So do not stop. Do not be dissuaded in anything that goes on. They carried on the work to Iconium despite the circumstances they found them in. Paul and Barnabas had joy even in the midst of their circumstances. So you say, so what do we do with all this, preacher? How do we apply this today? What do we do with this day? I know I've already talked about some things, and some things you'll hear again that I've already said, but these are important things for us, Refuge Church, to take away from this message and to take with us. First thing is this, desire to gather and hear the word preached and continue in grace. It is vital it is vital for you to gather together with the church. Look, I get it. I, there are six kids in our house. There's a thousand things that go on. There's sports, and I know it's baseball season. This is not a, this is not a, it's not a, a dart to throw at you baseball people. I was a baseball people, okay? Uh, I was a travel baseball people, so I, I get the whole thing. This is not a time for us to abandon the work of God. This is a time for us to hone in on the work of God. And just like this says, desire to gather and hear the word. You may go, man, my kid's playing in Alabama. What do you want me to do, preacher? I want you to go support your kid. You know what else I want you to do? We broadcast this every Sunday. Turn it on. Watch, listen, pray, sing. 
Open the Bible. Pray. Learn. Be part of this so that when you come back into the gathering space whenever you can, you're not like, so you've been gone for three months. You tracking with me? Don't be mad, bro. Okay? Tracking with me? Desire together and hear the word preached and continue in grace. Secondly, determine to hear the gospel. Be determined. Just like the people that we read about in Acts chapter 13, they were determined to hear the gospel. They went back and said, we want to hear this again. We want to hear how good it is that Jesus rescues sinners. We want, to, we want to hear how good it is that Jesus set his affections on me and the Holy Spirit awakened my heart to the gospel and now I am part of the family of God. Tell me that again, preacher. They desired to hear the gospel. The news doesn't get any better than that. Okay, The news can't get any better than that, ver- that very thing right there. That despite the life you've lived, despite the places you've been, despite the things you've done, that if you are in Christ, that the God of the universe set his affections on you, gave you faith to believe, and awakened your heart to the gospel, and adopted you into his family, and says, nobody will ever snatch you out of my hand. That's good preaching. Determine yourself to hear the gospel and rejoice in the gospel every week. You may receive a directive to share the gospel with the most unexpected people. Like Paul to the Gentiles. He never thought he'd be sent to the Gentiles, but he was sent to a people who he didn't really have much of a relationship with. But God sent him there. You may get sent to some of the same people that go, bro, I don't don't have anything in common with these people. But if the Spirit calls you there, then maybe the Spirit's got a work for you to do that only you can do. Only you can reach. The Spirit might have set his affections on someone, and it may take, he and God has also appointed you to be the one to share the gospel with them. They won't listen to me, preacher. They don't even know me. God doesn't work like that. God sometimes uses the most unlikely people to do the most amazing things. Be part of that. How cool is that? To be part of something unexpected and see the Spirit go to work. Then they did what they were sent to do. Deliver the message of the gospel. Distance is not, was not a barrier to them. They left this place and went on to Iconium. They went somewhere else. They didn't let something keep them in the way. So don't let there be barriers to the gospel for you. Don't let distance be a barrier. You don't have to go to faraway lands. Just look inside your home. Is everyone a Christian in your home? If they are, rejoice over that. Go to the next home. But if they're not, start in your own home. Kids, teenagers, maybe you need to share the gospel with your parents. Parents, maybe you need to share the gospel with your kids. Maybe you need to share it with your own parents, adults, or your cousin. But don't let distance be a barrier. Look in your own home, cross the street, go to somebody at work. Begin to have those discussions and see what the Holy Spirit does. In the power of the Holy Spirit, I would say this. Choose to live with these marching orders and do not stop. It's a privilege to be sent and to live sent with the powerful message of salvation is found in none other than Christ Jesus. That eternal life is found only in Jesus and you and I are entrusted with that message. Do not stop. I'll say this because I think it's important. And many of us may need to do this thing. Few people ever repent for being silent. Few people, including me, ever repent for being silent. And I would dare say that all of us have been silent at some place, some time, whenever we know that we're meeting with and spending time with someone who is outside the household of faith. And we may even be prompted by the Spirit to share the gospel with someone. You, you've been there. I know you have. But we chose not to. Few people ever repent 
from being silent. Maybe that repentance needs to start today. And then keep going. Declare that, declare that to the Lord. Repent to the Lord and keep going. He ain't mad. Okay, bro? He ain't mad. He'll keep going. Don't let that distract you. Don't let that derail you. Keep going. So what are your marching orders today, Refuge? What, what, what are we called to today? We just said them. Desire to gather. Be determined to hear and know the gospel. Listen to the directive from God the Holy Spirit. Be willing to open your heart and mouth to deliver the good news of the gospel. Be obedient and with God uh, uh, and with God and what God calls you to be and do not stop. And so uh, Jesus follower, that call to Paul and Barnabas is the same for us. It doesn't change from Acts then to today. So let's get after it. Be busy about the work of the Lord. But for those of you, listen, this I'm done. For those of you who are outside the household of faith, you know it already. You're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus. You, you, you knew even coming today that you were hesitant about coming because you're like, man, I, I don't know about these church people. I don't know about this church stuff. And I know that I don't really have a desire for this. I'm going to go anyway because my parents make me, because I just feel a sense of obligation. Or, or, or I got invited to come and I'm going to come. But whatever it is, you know in your heart that you're outside the household of faith. The Spirit of God does not live within you. The Spirit of God does not tell you even right now that you're a child of His. And you're outside the household of faith, not yet a Christian. Your greatest need is to see your need for Jesus. That's your greatest need today. Not about connecting with anybody else. Not about going to your neighbor, inviting them over for coffee. That's not for you today. Your greatest need today is to realize your need for Jesus. That's our hope for you. Your greatest wisdom today would be to seek eternal life found only in Jesus. If that's you, just know this, that God loves you so much that he brought you here today to hear this message and hear this preacher declare this message to you today is to seek eternal life found only in Jesus Christ. Your greatest calling is to be born again. And you can be born again today. Our hope for you is that today you'll respond in awe and amazement just like we see people doing in the scriptures today. That you'll respond today with repentance and faith. Preacher, I don't even know what that is. You know what? It'd be our joy to tell you. So I'm going to invite you here. You're going to get just a space to do that in just a few seconds. Our, our pastors are going to be standing at the back of the room. And whenever we start, to, the rest of the service goes on, forget the rest of the service for you. You come back there. It'd be our joy to share with you what it means to have eternal life, how to become a Christ follower, how to follow Jesus today. I hope you'll come.